0: Slightly unusually for me, I'm actually not going to read the passage until we're about somewhere in the depths of our sermon, so I'm going to give a fairly substantial amount of introduction to it before we do, so, but do keep a finger in it, um, <clears throat> and uh, we'll have a look at it in a moment or two. Let me pray for us as, uh, as we look at this passage together. Oh God, I pray that you would be with us. Speaking by your Holy Spirit, enlightening us to the truth of your resurrection. Amen. So, as you saw a little bit in the story that we've already read, uh, we're talking about some of the resurrection appearances. And what I want to explore this morning using uh, this story of Thomas and Jesus. Um, is the idea that actually what it is that we are invited into is our true humanity. As we look at the resurrection Jesus, what we see is humanity as it was always supposed to look, um, and we are invited to participate in that. Let me tell you a story that doesn't sound very relevant, but it will become, you'll become clear. Um, a number of years ago, uh, we had to replace the fireplace in our house. Um, and uh, we had this beautiful log fire that put out lots of heat and really warmed the room. It was fantastic. In fact, it wasn't. I've kind of inserted that bit because I need, need it for the, the whole story to work. OK. We had this beautiful fire that threw out all this wonderful heat, and we replaced it with an electric fire. And I remember us walking into the room and our hearts sinking, at this thing, that, this sort of plastic-looking thing in the corner that was supposed to kind of look like a fire. But it it sort of did, I suppose. um, And it sort of put out a tiny bit of heat. But the room had definitely got substantially colder. And actually, as it happened, they hadn't capped the chimney properly. And a little bit of rain came down, fused the thing at the back. And so it stopped. The very weather that it was supposed to be protecting us from undid it uh, within not very long at all. So it was plastic, it was impotent, and it was fragile. How we longed for that proper wood fire again. Now that's a little bit like humanity. That's a little bit like what humans are like when they haven't met Jesus, when they haven't been brought into uh, Jesus' new kingdom. Um, We are all somewhat subhuman until we've met Jesus. Now you might say that's an extraordinary thing for a man like me to say with my my pot belly and my bald head, uh, and uh, I'm looking out at, there's always a, a couple of good uh, Twickenham sports folk out there, um, but I'd just like to say that actually uh, Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 73 verse 9 says, God made only a few perfect heads and the rest he covered with hair. <laughs> um, that, that, that verse doesn't exist. Um, But I'd love to know whether, if you thought it did exist, whether your view of the Bible went up or down when you heard that. Um, But obviously, I'm not claiming that as standing here as a Christian, as part of God's family, that I am somehow superior to those of you who are not yet. But we're going to explore this morning this idea that somehow uh, those who belong to Jesus are welcomed into life to the full. They are no longer some plastic imitation of what they once were. They are no longer impotent in the face of this world. They are no longer fragile to everything this world can throw at them. They are uh, strong um, and powerful. Because you see, right back at the beginning, in the creation story at the beginning of the Bible, we were designed to have authority over creation. We were designed to have God's authority given to us by him over all of creation. And when sin and disobedience came into the world, our relationship with God broke, but so did that authority over all of the earth. So did our relationships with each other. Um, And we became plastic, impotent, and fragile. The world around us became disobedient to us. It became dangerous to us. And that's what we experience every time we experience sickness, when we experience anxiety, when we experience death, even when we experience another wrinkle appearing on our faces. That is not as life was intended. As one commentator put it, death is an unnatural intrusion into life. Who will rescue us from this plastic, impotent and fragile life? In some ways, that is the question that John is trying to answer in his gospel. And those of you who have been doing the Live Lent either on their their apps in the morning or as part of one of the groups, you you will have done most of John's gospel uh, during the season of Lent. So hopefully some of this will have come through for you. Right back at the beginning of John, in John 1, we learn that Jesus is the creator God who enters the world. And he invites all who believe him and all who receive him to participate in his creation life. What it was meant to be, to become children of God once again. And throughout the book of John, he is exploring what that looks like. He's exploring how Jesus shows himself to be the creator. How he shows himself to be the one to take us back to uh, that place of restored creation. He explores what it looks like to have that life given to us. Um, And he explores what it looks like to believe in Jesus, what all these things look like. Um, And in our passage this morning, John reaches his absolute climax uh, of that whole agenda that he's got. And as you'll see as we read it, he lays his agenda absolutely bare as he reflects on the story of Thomas and Jesus. So let's have a look at it together. John chapter 20, and starting at verse 24. Now Thomas, I should probably say as a word of introduction, Jesus has has just appeared to the disciples uh, about a week beforehand. Jesus had appeared to to the disciples, and most of what you heard in our paraphrase with the kids in was drawn on that first passage, but Thomas wasn't there now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is the climax of the book of John, that there's something in Thomas that represents belief for him, for for John. And there's something in Jesus that represents life. And these two ideas of belief and life that he has been thrashing out throughout the book come to something of a head. And as the story closes, John turns to all of his listeners, uh, those who will be reading his book, and asks them to reflect on this for themselves. He is very open about his agenda that in seeing this interaction and all of the interactions that have gone before, he wants us to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing we might have life in his name. So what does this life look like and what does this belief look like? Well, I just want to spend a couple of minutes looking at each of those. Life, as we've said, it's the real deal. And I think that uh, Sally brings it out perfectly in that uh, paraphrase that we read earlier. Uh, It is life as it was supposed to be. Death no longer holds any sway. Sickness no longer holds any sway. We are no longer plastic, impotent, and fragile. The resurrection Jesus is the reconciled life. Do you notice how, as he stands among them, as he had done a week earlier, he says to them, Peace be with you. There is peace. All of the the turmoil and the war and the relational breakdown tied up at the very start of the Bible in Genesis is resolved here in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so his resurrection body shows us what life once looked like and now can look like again with our relationship with God, with the created world, and with each other, fully restored, with death evicted from its invasion. And you see a little bit of that in the previous story, uh, with, with that sense that Jesus, Jesus walks through the walls, so you say, well, is he a ghost? But then he eats the fish, whereas well, he's not a ghost. It's that, what, that, there's that sense there of this mysterious power over the created world where he can choose how he interacts with it. That's a mind-blowing and confusing and mysterious idea, and it makes me feel like I'm I'm actually talking about a comic book or something. But that is is what is promised to us, a life which will one day be fully given to his followers. As, as, As John's been exploring this about halfway through the book in John 10, he says this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full This is what he's talking about. Of course, that is not our daily experience. There are plenty of experiences right here today among us that show that the invasion of death has not yet been repelled. The the Holy Spirit being given to the disciples is that first taste of what is actually yet to come. But it is still born in bodies that are as, as... As Paul puts it elsewhere, jars of clay. We remain, at least for now, on the outside, fragile, impotent, uh, plastic. But God is doing a work in us that will one day come to its full fruition um, when he comes again. That is his promise to all of those who believe in him. Strange and mysterious, though that sounds. So that's a little word about what the life looks like, that Jesus represents, and what is on offer to us. So what does the belief look like? Well, I think this passage comes in for a little bit of, uh, I was going to say the word jip, is that that a, it's a funny. I haven't used that word in about 30 years. I have a feeling it's probably not a very good word. It comes in for a lot of uh, flack. Comes in for a lot of, I think we all have a soft spot for doubting Thomas, don't we? Because we all look at that story, and we go, actually, Thomas seems jolly sensible. If somebody comes up to you and says that a long-lost friend has been raised from the dead, when you saw what happened to him on the cross, you're not going to believe them. You're going to say, unless he stands before me and I can see that it's him, I'm not going to believe him. Is this passage about putting aside our desire for evidence? Is it about putting aside our desire to really research things thoroughly? No, it's not. Jesus is not arguing here for blind faith. I can almost imagine the sort of terrible B-movie version of this, of, of Jesus as he, as he says, because you have believed, because you have seen you have believed, and then he turns to the fourth wall and glares accusingly at all of us and says, blessed are those who have See, have not seen, and yet have believed. As if to say, don't research at all. You don't need to look carefully. Just believe. Now, I don't think that is at all what's going on here in this passage. I think for a start, it's worth remembering that when we come to the book of John, or in fact the Bible, we come with a very different question to what Thomas would have come with. We come, I think, or at least I do, or at least did in my process of coming to faith, With the fundamental question does god exist does this book and this story this person of jesus give me evidence that there is a god and what he might be like thomas isn't asking that question at all Uh, thomas already believes in god thomas already believes in a rescuer who will come at least to save the nation of israel uh, even if he doesn't understand the full scope of what that rescuer will do thomas has witnessed jesus miracles thomas has witnessed resurrection. He's seen Lazarus come out of the tomb, but he's been incredibly slow to connect the dots. He's been incredibly slow to to recognize that Jesus isn't just a miracle worker who has grand ideas about freeing Israel from the tyranny of the Romans, but that Jesus is, in fact, God himself, come to free humanity from sin and death. It's that that dawns on him as he comes face to face with the risen Jesus who has defeated death. But it should have been obvious to him from all that he has seen so far and all that has been said to him. So the belief that is being talked about here isn't a sort of simple assent to the idea of God and what he might be like. It's the belief that you have when you step onto a bridge that says, I believe that this bridge can carry me. Um, it's a belief that says, I believe that Jesus can be that bridge into all that God has for me, that new life, uh, that rescue. And as, therefore, Jesus turns to his uh, future disciples there in verse 29 uh, and says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He's talking about simply people that don't get to see because Jesus has has ascended into heaven. John, at this point, wants to offer himself, therefore, as the way to legitimately and reasonably believe without seeing. And he simply invites us to do the work. Um, And that's what I'd encourage you to do. Is this a reliable document? Can we look at this and say, well, this is what John saw, therefore I can believe it. I'm, I'm not going to give you that answer. I've, it's, it's a question that I've had to ask, and I've come to the conclusion that I can. Um, but there's lots and lots of questions tied up in that. And if you want a starting place in that, or if, if this is something that you want to go back after many years of being a Christian and think about afresh, the, 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 new, Google, the, the new Alpha videos are great. Just Google Alpha Episode 2, which uh, is about who is Jesus, and it has some really interesting stuff about the reliability of the documents that we have in front of us, and how there is incomparably better textual evidence for the accounts uh, of the Gospels than there is for anything that we teach in any classics lecture uh, at a university. And, of course, do come and chat. But John is not telling you to believe blindly. He's telling you to do the work, and he's offering you a starting place, something to chew over and to examine the life of Jesus. He is inviting you, as you read the pages of Scripture, to have Jesus stand before you, to show himself to be risen and to offer you life as it was supposed to be. So let's maybe just take a moment of quiet. It might be that you need to commit yourself afresh to coming honestly and searching out the truth of this extraordinary idea that Jesus defeated death and invites us into it. It may be that we need to commit ourselves afresh to living a life this week that lives with that hope front and center, that hope of all things being restored, of death being finally defeated. Lord Jesus, as you stood before Thomas and the other disciples, I pray that you would stand before us as we read your scriptures and as your Holy Spirit works within us, that we would know you to be the risen Christ, that we would know you to be the one who has defeated sin and death we would know you to be the one that invites us into this new life and that we would live in a way that awaits all that you have in the restored heaven and earth. Amen.